up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, I'm going to give you my top five candidates to win the Heisman halfway through this season. We're going to talk about my top 25 and the Associated Press's top 25 and the differences therein, particularly what does Ohio State still have to do for the Associated Press to respect them. But first, let us talk about Alabama versus Texas A&M on Saturday night. Now, there's a few things to pick out here. The first of which is a 24-20 to win for which Alabama was absolutely biting its nails toward the end against an A&M team that has come to show it is not very good. But in Alabama's defense, let's go ahead and get in front of this, the Heisman winner is not at quarterback to start this game or at all. That means my man, Jalen Milrow, was deputized to run the offense, and it was not a great night in as far as he is concerned. Four turnovers in this game for Alabama, two forced, or yeah, two lost fumbles from Jalen, and I think at least one interception. But the thing that I really was interested in seeing was, would Alabama prove that it's a number one team despite not having Bryce Young? And they Absolutely not is the answer to that. He makes them so much different. And I think some of this is because Bill O'Brien has really tailored the offense to what Bryce Young's skill set is and put a lot of the players in place that complement that skill set. Jalen Milrow is not the kind of quarterback Bryce Young is. If anything, he's closer to what Jalen Hurts was at Alabama or even Blake Sims when he gets to understand what he's looking at. I think he was really having a hard time slowing the game down you could see that he was trying to aim the ball. He had guys that he wanted to get the ball to. Sometimes he succeeded. Sometimes he did not. Really needed Jameer Gibbs, Jace McClellan, and that uh, and Roydell Williams to come through. That's the other turnovers. Jace McClellan putting the ball on the floor. But, you know, when you got a 280-pound defensive tackle putting his head on the football, that's, there's nothing you could do about that. It's really impressed with Nick Saban's restraint because there were lots of places where I just thought that he was going to absolutely lose his mind for the mental errors and – the miscues that were coming from his normally disciplined football team. But we saw this against Texas. They were undisciplined in that game, and they looked terrible against Texas, and they didn't look great against AM. AM really should not have been in this game to begin with. As a matter of fact, if Will Reichert makes two field goals, this game is out of reach for them by the time it gets to the final play of the game. And the sequence that led to that is worthy of its own story and its own segment's own book. But what I want to talk with you about is frankly what was popping off on the socials late on Saturday night, which is Jimbo Fisher's play call with the game in hand. Johnny Manziel coming out of the woodwork to say one of the worst calls I've ever seen in my life. You have one play to beat the number one team in the country, and that's what we run. Yeah, that is what you run. I don't think that it was a bad play call from Jimbo Fisher. I think it was a bad read from the quarterback, Haynes King. If you're watching the play and you're watching it uh, from the coach's angle, right, as opposed to the TV angle that you saw isolated to that really right side of the end zone as the quarterback's looking at the end zone, you'll see that the inside man, let's call him number two coming from one to the outside on the left-hand side, ran a little hitch route, little curl in, and he was posting up his defender. I think that was where the ball was supposed to go. And if it does go to him, at the very least, you give him an opportunity to, to catch the ball, perhaps even a pass interference, because that man would have to come through the back of the receiver to make a play on it. 
I just think Haynes knew where he wanted to go with the football and made a decision that he would come to regret and that AM fans would come to regret because they were trying to become just the third team to pull off back-to-back wins against Alabama since Nick Saban had gotten to Alabama, including Ole Miss and LSU. Ole Miss at the time was very good. Uh, LSU was a national championship caliber team in that moment. I I have a hard time picking on Jimbo for this play call. I have a hard time picking on AM at all in this game because I thought that this was an opportunity for Alabama to really show what it was about, especially knowing what the offseason conversation, for lack of a better term, was about with Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. You thought that perhaps both of those guys would show up with a grudge, but Nick Saban is mostly trying to salvage this game without Bryce Young. And one of the last things he said walking off the field was, we got to get the starting quarterback healthy. But I did think it was really uh, a lot of, there was some moxie shown by Jalen Milrow. There was a lot of strength and resolve. He could have folded. They could have also given the hook for someone else, but they didn't. They chose to ride with him and tried to use his skill set. He's also gotten so much bigger since he left Katie Tompkins. And I think that dude is dynamic in the open field. You run a little bit more of an option style offense with him that gives him a little more uh, bootleg options, perhaps. And you get to use the skill set in a different way. Thought the Alabama defense played really, really well. Will Anderson was flying off the edge all night. He's playing really great football, but also the AM offensive line just was not having a good time that night. Run the football, not really happening. Haynes King feeling like he's harassed. And toward the end, it felt like he just wanted to give up as he was running away from those guys and really chewing out his uh, offensive line as well as some of the guys that were catching passes for him. 24-24, or 24-20, excuse me, is how that ended. And I just was flabbergasted that we thought this was the number one ranked team in the country last week. And obviously that is not the case this week. And both I and the Associated Press agree on that, which is a great way to segue into my top 25 and taking a look at the AP top 25. So you'll know for the second week in a row, I have Ohio State ranked number one in my top 25. There are a couple reasons for this. The first one is Ohio State has not played with its full complement of weapons since week one when they beat Notre Dame 21 to 10. If anything, that speaks more highly of Notre Dame than it does how bad or not great you think Ohio State is because every week since, Ohio State has been dominant without its full complement of offensive weapons. We're talking about games without Jackson Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams. We're talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba, not just having only played two games halfway through the season, but having caught just four passes. And that was a guy going into this season that had really great Heisman odds. And obviously you have to be productive to be a Heisman contender. But in his stead, the wide receiver group has just been outstanding. Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Egbuka in particular have been holding it down on the outside. And then you have quite literally the best quarterback in the game today in C.J. Stroud throwing them passes. And then defensively, they've been able to put the shackles on people. I mentioned Tommy Eichenberg and Ronnie Hickman and Tanner McAllister in our Saturday Live recap show, but I also need to point out that when Mike Hall has been able to play defensive tackle when they allow it, he has just been a wrecking ball down there for them. Really like seeing Zach Harrison in a stand-up nine at that Jack linebacker spot. It's a lot of fun for me to see. Alabama, I I just stayed at number two, and Georgia uh, stayed at number three, but interestingly enough, the AP voters are displaying a level of SEC bias that we've just come to accept from them as 
SEC has been the best conference in football if you're taking a look at national championships and who gets to play in the college football playoff and what it means to play in the SEC championship game. That said, both Alabama and Georgia have shown that they can be beat if you have the talent on the other side of the field to match them if they decide not to play to the full to their full strength. So an example of this would be Georgia playing against Missouri. They need to come back from a double-digit deficit to beat a 2-4 and four Missouri. And then you saw it, and we talked about it with AM and Alabama. I'm looking for dominance for my number one ranked team. That's why I moved Georgia the week after they put up 49 and allowed just three against Oregon at that number one spot. And one of the reasons I thought that they were going to retain that spot is they would be that dominant all the way through, and it just hasn't been the case. Now, Auburn is bad. And you put up 42 on Auburn, but you're also in a popularity contest right now. It's a pageant contest. You have to run it up if you want people to believe in you. And I guess that's exactly what they did because there's a person out there that says they answered the call about, are you good? And I'm going, nah, not against Auburn. I, I don't care that you put up 42 on Auburn. You could put 42 up on the University of Tulsa, and I still wouldn't give you credit for that. As a matter of fact, it doesn't mean that much now. I need to see what you are able to do against everybody. And if you're allowing Kent State to score more on you than Auburn, we still got to talk about that. That's not something I get to let slide, all right? To say nothing of just what it means for you to get back to the SEC championship game this week, uh, this year in which we expect Alabama and Georgia to be there again playing for not just conference supremacy, but uh, the better spot in the college football playoff because we know by now the selection committee is likely to put two SEC teams in their name, Alabama and Georgia. I also thought it was kind of interesting that for the most part, I agree with the Associated Press. Now, I they flipped Michigan and Clemson. I had Michigan at four and Clemson at five. But the more I thought about this, the more I said, okay, I see what you mean with Clemson in that they've beaten two top 25 opponents in a row in North Carolina State who needed a, a late interception to hold off Florida State on Saturday night. And, of course, they were able to beat down Ashe beat down Boston College on Saturday night and then survive against what everybody believes is a really good Wake Forest team. I have Wake Forest at 17. They have them at 14. I have Michigan at number four here because as booty and bad as the non-conference schedule has been, when they get into Big Ten competition against teams that I think are good, they've shown that they have a backbone and not just a backbone, but that they're balanced, all right? Against Indiana, it's 10-10 at half. Indiana was the first to give up a loss in the Big Ten to uh, in Nebraska last week, so they're not necessarily that good. As a matter of fact, they end up firing the offensive line coach on Sunday morning and moving offensive analyst Rod Carey, who was also at one point head coach at Indiana, into that role. But it's just more about the defense has convinced me that losing Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo has not really hurt them. If anything, Mike Morris is showing that he is a dude that can be depended on. Uh, Yabe Onomi, Onoma, excuse me, has been proven he's a dude that can be depended on. They're really good in the defensive secondary, and we just don't talk about it a bunch. And now you have a quarterback that I can believe in. Another reason why they shot up the rankings for me. I wanted to see J.J. McCarthy in this position to start the season. And eventually, Jim Harbaugh, Sharon Moore, and Matt Weiss saw it my way as well, with J.J. McCarthy going for over 300 passing yards against a good Indiana defense, and Blake Corum continuing to do Blake Corum things. I think that they're going to be really a handful by the end of the season when we get to the game between Ohio State and Michigan. 
And I would find it really funny and or fascinating that we might end up with two, you know, really good Big Ten teams that don't get to play in the Big Ten championship game and will suffer because of it. If anything, that's my reason for just abolishing divisions in the Big Ten. The way that Alabama and Georgia get two teams into the, uh, excuse me, the college football playoff is because they play a championship game against each other. If Ohio State and Michigan were allowed to play another game against each other for the Big Ten championship game, I think that that's going to help everybody uh, inside the Big Ten. And then perhaps we get to see two Big Ten teams in the college football playoff and not just two SEC teams. Now, I don't really have a problem with where they have Tennessee at number six. I have them at seven. Tennessee's a good football team. They get to try to get their first win against Alabama since 2006 on Saturday. I was a high school senior in 2006. It's been that long since Tennessee has been able to get past Alabama. And the way that Alabama is playing, they play like that against, like they did against AM against Tennessee. I'm not going to be shocked to see Tennessee win that game. I still got my uh, hang ups on USC, mostly that. They're not as good defensively as I want them to be. And Caleb Williams has shown that he is fallible, but Travis Dye has been carrying the load for them. Four out of the last five games at USC, he's rushed for over 100 yards and really, really uh, backed up his defense when they needed somebody that could just salt the game away. I'm glad to see that the Associated Press still has respect for Kansas and how they played that game against Texas Christian. Really great game, great chess match between those two coaches. But Texas Christian vaults to number 13 for me and number 13 for the Associated Press. We agree on that. As we keep going down, not a whole lot of change here. I mean, Kansas State barely beat Iowa State 10-9, but a win is a win. And then Syracuse, for me, makes its debut off of a bye being 5-0. But now they got a ranked matchup, I believe, against NC State coming. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then Texas, who I think is the best two-loss team in college football. A dubious honor, you might say or think, but I put it this way. You have a one-point loss to Alabama, uh, a former number one in the preseason poll and during the year, and you have a one-point loss to Texas Tech, who's demonstrated that they are going to give everybody hell. They're going to be really tough to play football against, as Oklahoma State found out in their bid to be 6-0. and So I'm looking at one-point losses. That if they go one way or the other, you make a field goal against Alabama, B. John Robinson doesn't put the ball on the ground, they're undefeated at 6-0, and they are playing to the caliber that I thought they would play with when I said Texas is back. I just would prefer that you did not demonstrate that Texas is back over the dead body of my Oklahoma Sooners. 49-0 that game was, and it will live in infamy in the Sooner State for all time. You just you don't get over that sort of loss, and it's going to be the thing that Texas fans bring up uh, as much as they bring up that Oklahoma recruits the state of Texas as if Alabama, Georgia, even Clemson don't recruit the state of Texas. It's it's a large state, and it's a really good high school football state. So, yeah, you're going to dive in there. And you're going to take what you can get. One fact I want to go back to Oklahoma State on here, number six for me and number eight for the Associated Press. Count it up this morning. There are 22 super seniors on that Oklahoma State roster. 22, not regular seniors, fifth-year seniors. They are experienced, they are savvy, and now they have a quarterback they believe in that doesn't throw the ball to the other team or put the ball on the ground. It's been that simple for the last couple of years for Oklahoma State. If Spencer Sanders doesn't turn the ball over, they probably win games going away. 
I thought it was going to take a step back with the defense, Derek Mason taking over for Jim Knowles, who's at Ohio State now, but that hasn't happened. I thought they would miss Malcolm Rodriguez more than they have. They miss him, but not as much as I thought they would. And now they get to play against Texas Christian in a battle for Big 12 supremacy, two undefeated teams. Very excited about that. I ended up going my last five here, Kansas, Texas, Minnesota, North Carolina, Coastal, and Cincinnati. And then the last five for the uh, Associated Press end up being Utah. I don't really think that much of them anymore, huh? Cincinnati, Texas, Kentucky, Illinois, and then James Madison. James Madison is 6-0. and They make their first ever appearance in the Associated Press poll. And this is after they were playing FCS football last year, and they're in the Sun Belt, which is the little SEC. That's a tough conference, man. So you got two undefeated teams in Coastal and James Madison, and that's an outstanding and great story. So that's how I see the top 25 as we get just past the halfway point, setting up for what I think is going to be a delicious week seven with Oklahoma State, Texas Christian, Penn State, Michigan, and Alabama, Tennessee, just for starters. I'm very excited to see what football is in store for this week. Now, let us move to my top five candidates to win the Heisman Trophy through week six. We're going to go one to five here. And I think number one is fairly obvious. Ohio State quarterback, C.J. Stroud, who has thrown six touchdowns in a game three times this year. And I made this goof on the Saturday Night Live show. Shout to my producers who caught me, uh, that Tyler Wojak and Catherine Donnelly, going, hey, you, we know what you meant, but it's important to get it right. 21 of 26, right? That's five incompletions. So he threw five incompletions and six touchdown passes against Michigan State. Good Lord, we got to see Kyle McCord playing football in the third corner against a Michigan State team that started the year top 25. Obviously, they're hurt by injuries. Darius Snow, Xavier Henderson, among others. You can see how much they miss Kenneth Walker. Elijah Collins is back running the ball, and that's a blast from the past. I, I see things as before the plague year and after the plague year. 2019, Collins was the dude to run in the ball for the Michigan State Spartans. But Stroud is also thrown that just that one interception and the, frankly that wasn't his fault his it was on the fault of Emeka Egbuka who struck back with one over the top point here is he's played flawless football for most of the year and if Ohio State had allowed him to play every single minute of every single game the numbers that he's putting up would be even more ridiculous and he's the best player on the best team you all know by now I don't particularly enjoy how the Heisman is awarded though I like the Heisman trophy I wish that it was more about football and not being a pageant contest, which means are you the best player on the team that plays offense? Because the best player on the team usually doesn't play offense. But in this case, it's hard to go against one C.J. Stroud, who's just been phenomenal. Number two on this list for me, Michigan running back Blake Corum, who has been the dude that we thought he could be or flash that he could be all of last year. And I say flash because Michigan fans would be like, hey, RJ, he had over like 700, 800 yards rushing last year. It's just Hassan Haskins was the dude, and they shared the ball. Now, Blake Quorum is the feature back, and Donovan Edwards is the spell back, but you also get to use Donovan Edwards, not like, not unlike Kevin Wilson was using DeMarco Murray at Oklahoma. You can split him out and have him running routes because his hands are so good, and he's a high school quarterback, which even says that he's probably going to throw another pass like he did against Iowa last year in the Big Ten Championship. I, I really love seeing that dude be used in the way that he's using Swiss Army knife for them offensively. But Blake Corum, goodness me, 
That dude has gone for over 100 yards rushing in every game he's been allowed to play. I mean, it's it's phenomenal what he's been able to do. It's phenomenal whatever uh, what the offensive line has been able to give him. And he's taking what looks like short runs, and he's turning them into not just explosive plays, but touchdowns. Things that are designed to go for three, four, five yards, he's turning into 50-yard explosive plays, 20-yard explosive plays. He did that to seal a victory against Maryland. He was instrumental in sealing victories against Iowa. And, of course, he showed out against Indiana late with Mike Hart being stretched off the field after suffering a seizure. Emotionally, Michigan was challenged to try to play football with their running backs coach and a Michigan legend on their minds, and they answered the bell there, 31-10. They beat Indiana. Blake Corum is the best player on that Michigan team, having played every game. I think J.J. McCarthy could make his way onto this list if they allow him to keep doing what he was doing, which was outstanding against Indiana. I believe they've had something like four 300-yard passing performances in the last three years at Michigan, and J.J. feels like the kind of dude that could put up for just this year, given the opportunity. Number three on this list for me, Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett. And I go back and forth on this because it is very clear to me that Stetson Bennett is not the best player at the University of Georgia. If anything, Jalen Carter's got a lot to say about that defensively. But he handles the rock, and he's handled it well, and he's able to really complement the rest of the offense in a way that I think Kirby Smart really loves. This is a guy that is going to get the ball out to the playmakers, and then all of a sudden, he's going to be running quarterback draw, running like people are chasing him, running like he's about to get beat for stolen some, for stealing something. He's looking around as he's running, expecting to be caught, dives into the end zone. He's a fun guy. He's turned into a, a runner that I didn't think was there and really got his playing with some confidence that I didn't know he had. He also has a tremendous story, as you know. Walked on at Georgia, was forced to go the JUCO route to get back to Georgia on scholarship. They tried to play JT Daniels. He got hurt. Stetson comes in. Stetson takes over the job after giving, giving, being given opportunities to have the job beforehand. And he's grown into it. He led them to a national championship. Feels like, at the very least, they're going to get back to the SEC championship, if not to the college football playoff again. It's quarterback-driven award for the Heisman. So this is a dude that gets to get, have those great odds, as opposed to, again, Jalen Carter is a dude. He's outstanding. He's really good. Number four on the list for me, Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker. Might be the first and last time that he makes a Heisman list because playing against Alabama, it's going to be tough. But the good news for volunteer fans is if Tennessee beats Alabama, Hendon Hooker is going to be at the center of it. And, I mean, you're going to be talked about as a team that is supposed to make the playoff if not the SEC championship game, which means that people will pick you to beat Georgia. Love what Josh Heupel has going on in Knoxville as they get an opportunity to welcome Nick Saban back to Neyland. And I'm, and I'm fired up for a quarterback that hasn't thrown an interception since November 13, 2021. Hendon Hooker takes care of the football. Perhaps they get Cedric Tillman back for this game, which means he'd have Cedric Tillman and Brew McCoy and Jabari Small, and they'd have that defense able to harass. Perhaps a Bryce Young that comes back, but if Jalen plays the way that he played against AM, provided he has to play. I don't see how Tennessee cannot feel good about an opportunity to win that. And it's because Hooker takes care of the football. The offense they run is not dissimilar to the one that Jeff Levy runs at Oklahoma, that Lane Kiffin runs at Ole Miss. If you can take care of the football, you can go at warp speed. You can do whatever you want. And Hinden Hooker is just that kind of quarterback. He's been outstanding 
for the last couple of years, growing into his own. But now that they are undefeated, six and zero for the five and zero, excuse me, for the first time since 2016, I think we could talk about Tennessee the way that Phil Fulmer once wanted to talk about the tennis, uh, Tennessee Volunteers. The Vols are back, and pretty soon we'll be taking a bite out of everybody we plays behind. Maybe want to phrase it differently, but you get the point, right? It feels like Tennessee is doing the Texas. They are back. And number five on the list, USC quarterback Caleb Williams. He's here because USC is undefeated, and when he has been good, he has been great. However, Travis Dye has been the reason that USC has been able to hold leads and finish games. He's had over 100 yards rushing in four out of their last five outings. I think if that dude isn't running the ball well and the offensive line isn't giving him holes to run through, it would not. we wouldn't be able to talk about Caleb Williams here at the Heisman Trophy, uh, in contention at least, going into week seven. But again, undefeated, 6-0. and They get Utah at Rice-Eccles. Maybe Utah's going to still play chippy because they still are the big defending back 12 champions and they still can make the Pac-12 championship game, but not if they don't hand USC their first loss of the season. It's also interesting here, the, team, uh, the folks that I just kind of looked at but didn't make the list, mentioned briefly, Spencer Sanders, again, I think he's an outstanding player this year. Jameer Gibbs has been the unsung hero, I say nationally, uh, outside of Tuscaloosa. But goodness me, that dude makes them go, and he gives them a dimension to their pass game as well as their run game that they just haven't had in a few years. Closest thing that I can think to that is Alvin Kamara, and he didn't even last at Alabama because he knew that the depth chart was just that deep. When you have a dude that can do the kind of things that Alvin Kamara could do in the past game, that DeMarco Murray could do in the past game, that Donovan Edwards can do in the past game, it gives you so much more freedom to make and create matchups that are favorable for you. And I think uh, Alabama is benefiting from that. For Caleb Williams to move up, I think he's just got to get back on the horse, start putting up 300-yard passing performances for TD games. And we could talk about him the way that we talk about C.J. Stroud, the way we talk about Stetson Bennett when he's on, J.J. McCarthy when he's on. So that's my top five Heisman candidates following week six, halfway point of the season, give or take. And that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks, as always, to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, our senior producer, Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. I'm host, RJ Young. Uh, we'll see y'all on Tuesday for Spaces and on Thursday for the mailbag. One question's already out there. I want to hear your answers to it. Do you think Tennessee can beat Alabama on Saturday? Wojak and I will talk about it for you on Thursday. Deuce.